Welcome to the Intentional Family Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Schmitz, joined by my co-host, Mike Schmitz. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well and excited to record another awesome episode. Following up from last week where we talked about how to overcome a victim mentality, we wanted to share powerful stories of overcoming such a mindset. Yes. And... To get started, I'd like to just remind us all that a victim looks at a situation, good or bad, and thinks that they have no effect on the outcome from their actions or attitude. Vice versa, a victor looks at the situation, good or bad, and knows they directly impact that outcome, or at least they have control over their attitude about the circumstance. So Mike, can you share with us the power of stories and why we wanted to delve into that today? Yeah, so you had mentioned the victim mentality versus a, a victor mentality, and uh, we wanted to share some stories that we didn't get to last time, and I thought that we should start here by talking about what stories do. And uh, I think with podcasts specifically, this is kind of the perfect medium for stories, because when you listen to a podcast, you feel like you are in the room with the people that you are listening to. Mm -hmm. You feel like you have a relationship with them. It feels very informal. So all of these stories, uh, what they do is they imprint you in a way that's different than information. People will remember how you make them feel more than they will remember what you specifically said. And so we've been talking about this victim mentality, how to overcome it. And if all we had to do was say it once and everybody got it, you know, that would be cool. But anyone who has raised children knows that you have to say things more than once. You have to say things in different ways. So that's kind of what we're going to do here today is we're going to say this in different, different ways, uh, kind of take advantage of the podcast medium here and uh, share some stories of other people and also some personal stories of how you might overcome this and hopefully you know, at least one or two of these is going to resonate with you and uh, you'll leave different than you were when you hit play. Yes. Object lessons are some, a great tool for teachers or parents or people in Sunday school to illustrate a point. Another way to put that is um, object lessons in, in stories, like giving, giving you a visual picture. And for example, Jesus always taught in parables. They were stories that gave a more basic example of the principle he was trying to teach. Like he would teach about his kingdom um, and just give the illustration of a farmer sowing seed. And it was an illustration that people would understand. And so today with telling stories, it is true that the small details, a lot of times, one little thing will stand out and resonate with us and impact us in a greater way and actually change our behavior more than just learning about principles, more than just hearing words. And it's inspiring and we need to mm -hmm. be inspired. It's yes. really important. Absolutely. And I just to also lay the foundation of the whole point, the whole purpose right now in illustrating these stories and this mindset is that we are trying to help all of us have a mindset shift from mm -hmm. a victim to a victor. And I wanted to just do a really simple comparative here with losing a basketball game as the player. 
you could first have the mindset of a victim where we lost the game because no one else on the team helped me out. Or it was the referee's fault. Or they someone else. make yeah. a call at the end. Or the coach. Why did he even put him in? He lost the game for us. It's always projecting or blaming. Yep. But the victor, even in losing a basketball game, can say, we lost because I didn't, I didn't, I can't say I gave my best and contribute to the team as much as I could have. They take total responsibility. Even if, you, you know, looking at it from the outside in, that player was by far the best player on the court and did score the most points and had the most assists. Their mindset is still, I could have done more. Yeah, and this is uh, the difference here between accountability and responsibility, in my opinion. So accountability looks for the reason that you lost, the reason something broke, and it looks to assign blame to a specific person or thing. And that doesn't really help anyone going forward. But responsibility just... Uh, doesn't look backwards, but asks internally, well, this may not be my fault, but what can I do to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Very different approaches. And I feel like even in the workplace, in professional teams and organizations, but in your family too, I mean, it's not worth going back and assigning blame. In the moment, maybe that feels good because you feel kind of vindicated. Yeah. <laughs> But it really doesn't help anybody no. going forward. And that's what you want to do. You want to have a future focus. Uh, that's really the the big shift that happens with the, the victim versus the victor mentality. With the sports example, by the way, I have to say, like, I remember because I played basketball in high school growing up. And uh, there were definitely people who had a victim mentality and blamed every single loss, even if we lost by like 30 points. It was almost always the refs. And uh, because you can always find individual calls that they messed up. Sure. I mean, they're not professionals anyways. They're not getting paid big bucks for this. This is just a side gig for them if they're getting paid at all. Yeah. So the the refs are not, you know, NBA quality referees. And so they're going to miss stuff. And it's kind of funny how people will get so caught up in that and they'll get so worked up about that and they'll complain about the calls that they didn't get. And you can see the more animated that they get throughout the course of the game and the more they complain about the calls they didn't get, the more the calls don't go in their favor because yeah. the ref doesn't want to give them the benefit of the doubt at all yeah. anymore. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is very true. And just to throw this out there, that uh, great book is um, Jocko Willink's um, Extreme Ownership. Mm, That's yeah. about taking responsibility no matter what as a leader. We first of all lead ourselves, but anyone else in our life that we lead, whether it be um, children or in the workplace or ministry or school, that taking person, personal responsibility for everything that happens will only propel yourself and those around you. Yep. Anything other than that taking responsibility will just hinder the growth, will hinder getting over what the problem was. Yeah, uh, that book specifically, I really like it because Jocko and his co-author Leif Babin, I believe, they start every chapter with a story from their deployment. And then they talk about the principle and then they apply it to the business world because all these principles are very generalizable. You can apply them any area of your life. But what's really powerful about that book 
is the stories yes. that he tells. Yeah, his story his stories are so incredible. They just grab yep. you. You're pulled in and then he illustrates his principle. So another book since we're on the topic of story and I have to have a disclaimer with this one because this guy has a very foul mouth, very colorful language. <laughs> uh, but phenomenal story is Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. His uh, I'll I'll kind of tell the short version of this, and this can lead into some of these other stories that we've got here. He grew up in some pretty horrible circumstances, but uh, no one really knew. His father owned a roller skating rink, basically like a nightclub, and he would force his wife and the kids to be there and to work until three, four in the morning, they'd come home, they'd sleep for an hour and he'd wake everybody up at five 30 and they'd, they'd go to school. They'd fall asleep in school. He's beating his wife. He's beating, beating his kids. And at one point his wife and um, her two sons, David and his brother, they successfully run away. They know that if they don't get all the way <laughs> to wherever they're going, they're in big trouble because uh, his dad is going to find them and he's going to severely hurt them. Uh, and they get away, they start over, and he's exposed to a bunch of racism in this tiny little hick town, basically. And he grows up in a lot of trauma. Uh, and at one point, you know, he's he wants to be the paratroopers, you know, that jump out of the planes. And uh, he gets to a point in the test where they have to pass this thing in the water, and he can't do it. He freaks out. Um, so he goes and gets whatever job he can. He's working as an exterminator. He walks into this restaurant one time and spraying stuff down. He opens up this closet and like all these cockroaches just come pouring out at him. He's like, what am I doing with my life? This is not what I, this is not what I want my life to be about. And he had every reason to say, well, it's not my fault. I grew up in this horrible situation. All these bad things have happened to me. And he would be right that none of those things he brought on himself. But at that point, he's like, you know what? That's not helping me. I'm going to mm. take responsibility and I'm going to change my future. So he sees a late night infomercial for the the Navy SEALs. And he's like, that thing that prevented me from achieving my dream before, I'm going to kick that thing's butt. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he goes and he signs up for the Navy SEALs and they go through all the training and they have this process called Hell Week at the end. Mm. He makes it through Hell Week, but he hurts himself. He messed up his knee. So he passed, but he couldn't become a Navy SEAL. And they told him, well, you're going to have to do it all again. So he does it all again, exact same thing. He passes Hell Week, gets through it, but he's hurt. And they said, well, you can't be a Navy SEAL yet. You can do it again, but you can only do it one more time. If you don't make it this time, you're out. That time he finally makes it. And uh, not only does he make that, but he takes that attitude towards every challenge in his life now. He's, What's the next hard thing for me to do? He doing all these like ultra marathon things. And, um, he's, he's definitely like not, <laughs> definitely not PG rated, <laughs> but it's such a powerful story because I cannot think of a worse situation to come out of really than what he had to go through. Only thing comparable I think would be like Victor Frankel. Yeah. And, um, I, I, you know, that's not the type of thing that I would normally read. I don't want to feed on that stuff all the time. But that story that he tells in that book, it's so powerful. And I think there is one where they, they clean up a lot of the, the language. But, I mean, 
that's an example of what I was saying before, like stories and what people really attach to is not what you say, but how you make them feel. And I was able to read in that story, walk a mile in his shoes and feel some of those things that he felt, obviously not equating those two at all. I mean, he went through it. I just heard about it, but don't shy away from your, your story either. I mean, that's the other thing with all this victim mentality stuff is own it because you don't know who else it's going to help. Yeah. That's something I had to get over to is, um, not wanting to, I had to get over the fear of opening up and being vulnerable to people. But as I have, it has only helped myself, but then it's also helped others. And you never know who will hear it and who it will help. And that's actually a, the, one of the big drivers of why we have this podcast is if there's anything good and beneficial that we have learned that we would like to share that and not hold that in our own life, in our own selves. We want to do everything we can to help others, to make their job easier, to give some sort of inspiration that will cause a great positive change for your life or your family. Mm -hmm. And I was having a lot of fun researching some of these stories, and some I have are very well known. Some are lesser well known that I hadn't heard of some of them. And it's just, there's so many stories of people that have overcome. Mm-hmm. But one of the first ones I wanted to share, and a lot of you probably already know about her, but is Helen Keller. And she is an incredible story of a woman that overcame some of the most severe physical hindrances. She was deaf and blind, but she was actually 19 months old when she lost her sight and hearing due to illness. Mm. So she did have the first year and a half or so of her life that she could hear and she could see. And likely that probably helped her to be able to learn to hear and speak. But most children at 19 months old aren't really speaking much, but they have heard a lot. But her instructor, Ann Sullivan, was also, uh, she was visually impaired. She um was mostly blind as well. And she is the one that pushed Helen to move past her limitations and learn how to communicate. Hmm. And it's really incredible because Helen Keller went on to write prolifically and do incredible, amazing things for decades and decades. And there, you know, if you get, if you dig into the biographies and things, um, you'll know, you'll see how, how hard Anne pushed Helen. And that's just a testimony to having the right people in your life that won't let you give in to the victim mentality. Mm-hmm. Because if we surround ourselves with people who will just pat us on the back and say, it's okay, you've had a hard life, that's not helping yeah. at all. And that's super dangerous. Makes you feel good in the moment, but it doesn't change anything. Right. Uh, I have two really great quotes from Helen Keller. One is, although the world is full of suffering, it's also of full of overcoming of it. So that's the woman herself from her own lips saying, mm-hmm. yeah, there's suffering, but there's a whole lot of overcoming. <laughs> yep. And she can say that. <laughs> Look what she overcame. I'm reminded on that topic of something that a guest minister said one time when they were at our church, that your setback is the setup for your comeback. comeback. Is that Jetco? <laughs> yep. Yes. Awesome, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another quote of Helen is, uh, character cannot be developed in ease or quiet. 
Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Uh oh. <laughs> what? That sounds like I'm going to have to be a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I, I've definitely learned to try not to shrink back when hard things happen mm-hmm. because I've had a habit, a tendency to go into my turtle shell when things get hard. I don't naturally like confrontation. And we're all born with a natural personality, a natural bent, but that can never be used as an excuse not to do what's right. Yep, absolutely. And as a parent, you better get used to confrontation because you're not (laughs) going to propel your kids into the future they're meant to have if you aren't confronting. Yeah, that's an interesting topic. We may have to do a whole episode on conflict. <laughs> oh, gosh. But conflict isn't bad. <laughs> right. Conflict is actually yeah. the place where change comes about. Mm-hmm. So don't shy away from conflict, but do ask yourself, why is there conflict? Sometimes it's just the result of bad choices that we've made. Other times it's the process, the transformation that's happening, kind of like the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly. You know, that's not something that is easy or comfortable, but it's necessary in order to fly. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Another one I have here is Wilma Rudolph. She is an incredible woman who was born prematurely in a family of 21 children. I cannot even wrap my head around that. (laughs) People look at us funny with five. Five. Oh my goodness, can you imagine 21? Uh, Little to no resources to sustain a professional sports career. And she had even bigger challenges when she was stricken with polio. Not to mention that this was the 1950s, which made things much more complicated as she was an African-American woman. Mm Mm-hmm. But she had this burning desire inside of her and that she had this, this unstoppable strength because she had this drive and no polio, no social barriers, no gender barriers would stop her from pursuing her dream. Wilma says triumph can't be had without the struggle. She won three gold medals in Ro- the Rome Olympics in 1960 in running events. it's just incredible to think about that born to a huge family with no resources, nothing but challenges with sickness and the fact that she's a female and African-American in the 1950s. Yet here she went on in 1960 to win three gold medals. I mean, what, what excuse do we have left after hearing these stories? Yeah. It's just so so incredible. They're all around us. They're not just famous people either. If we ask our grandparents, our parents, those are those people in our lives, they will have overcoming stories. You have overcoming stories. I have overcoming stories. Yeah. I want to share a couple more real quickly before we get to ours. You're talking about the, the people who recognized the moment and kind of overcame Uh, I think of Abraham Lincoln specifically with the Gettysburg Address. Mm -hmm. Like He didn't ask to be in that specific situation, but he rose up when he was needed. And what was needed from him is probably very different than what we may think. I mean, his whole life is failure after failure after failure after failure after failure until he finally wins 
the White House and then he's the president during the Civil War, like when character matters the most, right? Another person that comes to mind is Teddy Roosevelt because I know a little bit of his story, but he grew up as a frail boy, is how he puts it, always sick. Uh, His, I forget, his mom or his dad, one of his parents basically was like, don't ever go outside because every time you do, you get, get sick. And so he was always sick. He was always really weak. I think it was his mom. And then his dad basically is like, you're going to have to, you're going to have to rise up and overcome this. So he adopted that mindset. He, he got the, the victory and he took that approach and he was known not as just like a great president, but a naturalist. I mean, mm-hmm. like he was doing all this crazy stuff. He's, he's out on these hunting safaris and stuff like that. And you're like, how could this guy who couldn't even go outside when he was a kid without getting sick mm-hmm. do all these amazing things? And he also penned this thing, which is maybe my favorite quote of all time, this in the arena. Mm-hmm. And this just encapsulates this perfectly for me. I want to read this quick. And this is part of a longer speech that he gave, but Uh, It says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. (laughs) And a victim mentality is always going to cause you to not take action. Yeah. And you're going to be in that group that he describes at the very end. Mm Mm-hmm. If you're able to to break free of that, you're going to try some stuff and you're probably going to fail at a lot of it, mm-hmm. but at least you'll be able to know that you tried. Yeah. And one thing I thought of to talk about, because I want us to talk about personal examples as well. I have a few things I want to touch on, but one in particular that comes to mind is that as a parent, as a mom specifically, you know, life is not glamour. <laughs> life is not pampering. Mm-hmm. But we give our lives to um, help grow our children and create a foundation in them that will propel them to their future and help them to be great adults, fulfilling their purpose in life. And that takes commitment. That takes selflessness. Mm-hmm. That takes day in and day out to keep going. When you've yelled at your, I've yelled at my kids, right? Okay, full disclosure. <laughs> I, you know, I do apologize to my children when I've messed up or I've yep. done something I shouldn't. And what does that do? That disarms the situation and it shows them an example. If I can never humble myself and apologize to my children for messing up, then why would they want to apologize to anyone else? And some might say, I could never apologize to my children because, you know, I'm the leader, I'm the authority, I couldn't, you know, put myself on their level. Well, what kind of example is that? How will they know how to act? And if you don't want to apologize, you have to ask yourself why. A lot of times it's because 
we want to be perfect. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> is very much tied to a fixed mindset yes. and a victim mentality. Yep. If you have to be perfect, you will always look for an excuse and you'll as long as you look for an excuse, you'll always be able to find one yeah. for why things didn't go your way. Mm-hmm. But when you are free from the burden of trying to be perfect, you can say, yeah, I messed up. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'll try to do better next time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where the growth happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I believe that is why that transparency, that openness that we have with our children is the very reason why even recently I've had um, situations where one of my sons came up to me and said, Mom, when I said I was doing this, I was actually doing this. Will you please forgive me? I didn't find out. I didn't discover them in their sin or their wrongdoing or Mm -hmm. their lie. They came to me and they fessed up. And I told them that that is way more powerful than if I had found out. Yep. Because they realized that they were wrong and they did something about it and they fixed it. And so why am I talking about this right now after we talked about all those huge, big, inspiring stories with really famous people? (laughs) Because we're normal people. Yep. Actually, they're normal people just because they're famous. They're they're people. Exactly. And I wanted to paint this picture because one of my mom friends said to me re- recently when she found out that we did a podcast about a, what a week ago, she goes, how, how do you have time for that on top of everything else you do? I was like, it's a matter of choice and a matter of we just have this burning in our hearts and we have to do it. So we mm-hmm. make it work. She goes... That was a stupid question. You're intentional. <laughs> that's the name of your podcast. You're intentional. Yeah. And that's not to say that we're anything special, but Mm-mm. along the way, we've chosen to grow. Yep. We have made hard choices to do what we believe is right and not just follow the easy path. I want to add one other thing regarding the famous people comment that you made. Uh, because... This is not a ginormous podcast. None of the stuff that I do is like New York Times best selling, you know, sort of scale. But I get people who approach me all the time because they listen to a podcast or they read something I've written online. And to them, I am a famous people. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see him at MacStock, you know, and like, oh, I can't believe I'm talking to Mike Schmitz. And I'm like, I'm just, just a guy. A guy. <laughs> yeah. And the point I want to make is that no matter what you think of yourself, you are a big deal to somebody. Absolutely. So don't discount that. Yep. Use the platform that you have in people's lives to pull them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't ever say I'm just a stay at home mom. I have talked, actually, our banker, when we refinanced our home about a year and a half ago, you know, she's talking about things and answering all her financial questions, sending her documents. And she's like, well, what do you do? And I was explaining it to her. And um, and she goes, oh, so you should be making a six-figure income if you are being paid <laughs> for all that you do. <laughs> True. And so I just wanted to say that raising the next generation is one of the highest callings in life. Yep. Whether you are mom or dad or you don't have children right now, impacting the next generation is incredibly vital in whatever role you may have. I think that's a <laughs> an interesting place to maybe talk about some personal stories because I think 
if you view yourself as only a stay-at-home mom, you might be leaning towards a victim mentality. Yeah. What right? impact can I really have? Well, I went to school for this and well, I had I'm... to throw my career away because I got to yeah. stay home with the kids. And I suppose it could work the other way too. <laughs> but, you know, circumstances happen and now you have these responsibilities and life didn't play out the way that maybe you'd hoped it, it would have. And you kind of resent the spot that you're in for whatever reason. You know, don't go there. That's an example of a a victim mentality. Yeah. We've all had opportunities for that kind of stuff mm-hmm. in our lives before. You know, I, I can share just a couple. Um, we don't need to make these super long because we've talked about a lot of these before probably. But uh, I was let go from my previous job a couple of years ago through honestly no fault of my own. The CEO of the company that let me go told me that it was purely a business decision. But I could have been super upset and this is completely unfair and fought the event but immediately well not immediately but a day later (laughs) uh, i wallowed for a little while i'll be honest but it wasn't very long and then it's like okay on to the next thing yep and i started working on building faith-based productivity and that's led to a bunch of bunch of other things uh i remember when i was in college i went to a small high school and did not really get the same formal education when it came to some of the specific stuff like citing sources. And so I didn't really know how to cite a paper. Um, I thought, you know, I, I did stuff according to the the guidelines, but this specific instructor, we didn't really see eye to eye on a couple of different things. <laughs> and uh, I remember the towards the end of the semester, my freshman year, I had a paper due and it was a book report. So you know darn well what my source is because it's this single book that we're reading. (laughs) But I didn't cite it correctly. And she called me into her office and said, I'm giving you a zero for the paper and I'm going to take you before academic court because you plagiarized and you might get kicked out of school. And that could have, you know, I could have been stuck there for a a long time. That could have just like completely shaken me and I, I don't finish school, you know, but that's not what happened. I overcame it and moved on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's countless examples of times like that. You know, just because something bad happens to you, don't stay there. Mm-hmm. The pastor says, you know, if you're going through hell, keep going. Keep going. I think yeah. you picked that up from Winston Churchill, by the way, yeah. to give credit to the original source. But the it's so true. Like yeah. in your worst moment, why do you want to stay there? Right. Oh, Absolutely. Um, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and feared no evil. Through, do you hear yep. that word? Through, yep. <laughs> not I sat in the valley of the shadow of death and just stayed there. I found myself in the valley of the shadow of death, so I set up shop, built a house, white picket fence, two kids and a dog. Probably wouldn't be a white picket fence; it'd be something more gloomy than that and depressing. <laughs> but that True. is the victim mentality. If yep. to paint a picture. It's not, I'm walking through because I see the end of this thing. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. Yep. No matter what that is. And yeah, I mean, I, I when you're talking about college and choices and things like that, I had a few different options. I started as a, as a psychology major because I thought I'd want to do counseling. And then I realized, you know what? When I get married to Michael and we have children, I know I'm going to want to be home with them. So I don't really want to keep pursuing a master's and then maybe even a doctorate 
for some career that I know I'll probably end up wanting to be home with my children. So I switched gears and I moved to fine arts and then I almost added on an education secondary major, but I was like, I just kind of want to be done with school for now. (laughs) And so I finished out a fine arts degree and I owned my own photography business for quite a long time. But again, I saw myself going, am I going to be a art teacher full time? Well, again, I go back to, I know when I have children, I'm going to want to be home with them. And that's not to say that that's the best course of action. You should do that. But for me, I knew that was the right thing. And I still to this day know that that's the right decision. So that helps me day to day when it gets tough and it gets exhausting. Like yesterday, just yesterday, (laughs) (laughs) I go, I say to my boys, they lay my daughter down and I go, I need a break. I said it exactly like that. Okay. I said, I need a break. I'm going to shut my door. I'm working on some things. I'm going to drink my coffee. Go find (laughs) something to do. You don't need me for an hour. Okay. Okay. Reminds me of, uh, was it John Wesley? His his wife, yep. who uh, she had a oh, apron that that's she would drape his, that's over. John, that's their mom. Oh, okay. Susanna Wesley. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She <laughs> put her apron over her head and just prayed. Yeah. And the kids knew mom's praying. <laughs> I've thought about them like I should just wear my apron more and just flop <laughs> it over my face. <laughs> There's so many inspiring stories, and if you find yourself in a rut. You know, I encourage you just look up someone else's story. Uh, you know, look up some of the books or things we've mentioned to stay inspired. And be encouraged that you're not alone in Absolutely. feeling that way. Yep. That's easy to do. You can feel like, well, no one else has been in this situation that I'm in before. And if you look for specifics, you can probably find a justification for that belief if you really want to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. But I find it much more useful to look at the stories of the people who have overcame similar circumstances and understand that you have the same ability to do that that they do. You know, they maybe they did some great things, but really we're all <laughs> we're all the same skin and bones, right? We've all yeah. got the we've all got the same uh, potential to overcome that stuff in inside of us. Just some of us have learned how to tap into it, and some of us haven't yeah. yet. Yep. And then I'll leave you with uh, one last person. And if you want to read more, just look him up. (laughs) Joseph, he had dreams and visions and just an awesome future in mind. His brothers were jealous, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. His dad thought he was dead because they put some animal blood on his beautiful, colorful coat that his dad gave him. Mm -hmm. And so... He was in this person's house as a slave, uh, working for this man. The man, man's wife accused Joseph of things that were not true. He was thrown in prison for 10 years. For something he didn't do. Something he didn't do. He was actually, he was found to be so faithful in the prison that the the main prison guard put him in charge of the other prisoners and he had this gift of interpreting dreams and after another two years he was finally remembered and the pharaoh he helped some guy yes so he gets his job back and he's like aha there's my ticket out of here but the guy as soon as he gets out of jail forgets yeah he forgets about (laughs) joseph so there joseph sits another two years so about 12 years 
uh, historians say he was in prison. And finally, the pharaoh had this disturbing, horrible dream. No one could interpret. None of his wise men knew anything. People that he had helped were like, oh, yeah, Joseph's in prison still. I think he could help you. He helped him, and Pharaoh put him in charge of all of Egypt, and they they were able to outlast a severe famine. And the vision that he had at the very beginning of his life came to pass. And I I love that story because during all that time, the in-between time, yes. he had so many opportunities oh to give up on that, mm-hmm. that dream. And honestly, I can't say that I would have persevered like he did. <laughs> Yeah, it's like one of those things like, I th- I hope I would. Yeah. I hope I would. But we don't know until we're in that moment. So exactly. every day is a vote that we cast to be an overcomer. Yep. Whether that's eating right or exercising or speaking right about ourselves or speaking right to our children, doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Every decision we make that is right propels us to keep making those right decisions and overcoming. Wow. I'm inspired. (laughs) Hopefully you are too. We've shared so many stories and they're so powerful. And I know that you each have your own powerful story. So I encourage and challenge you to have a conversation with someone, to ask them about themselves, to share your own story that you've overcome and you'll be inspired and you'll inspire others. Thanks for listening to the Intentional Family Podcast. We can be found at intentionalfamily.fm. Until next time, join us in living life intentionally.